We'll start uh, with this day in business history. Uh, January 17th, 1706, this day in business history. is actually not today in business history. It's actually two days ago in business history. It was Sunday in business history. But it was close enough and it mattered enough for this class that I decided to go with January 17th, 1706. On this day in business history, or that day, Benjamin Franklin was born in Boston. And so it was Ben Franklin's birthday on Sunday, 1706. He would have been 304 years old were he still alive today. It's worth noting that uh, Franklin uh, was the 15th of 17 children by his father. He had two wives. His first wife died and he remarried. Josiah remarried. Um, and and they uh, had more children. Also, Franklin was the youngest son of the youngest son for five generations back. And that's kind of problematic in the society that Franklin could have grown up in because if you're the youngest son of the youngest son for five generations back, you have nothing on the inheritance. The oldest son usually gets the inheritance. There's nothing left for later children in there. But because Franklin, uh, his family immigrated to America, he could become something that he never could have become in another place. And so that's worth noting on this day in business history, January 17th, 1706. Um, I bring that up today because uh, we are going to read the autobiography of Benjamin Franklin uh, as part of this class. It's one of your required texts. You'll find it looks like this. Uh, you'll find it in the bookstore where you can buy it online anywhere. But this is a uh, modern language uh, adaptation of Ben Franklin's autobiography created for the uh, modern business reader, broken into chapters. It's got some business uh, connections in there. So we are going to study Ben Franklin, who's kind of the original entrepreneur uh, in American history and kind of set a footprint, a cultural imprint that a lot of people still follow uh, in American business. And so that will be part of this class here. Today's uh, lesson is called uh, The Lesson is Under Your Arm, which is a peculiar title. But the lesson is under your arm today. And if we do our work correctly, uh, we'll teach you a good deal about business through your personal hygiene rituals. And maybe, just maybe, uh, you'll think about Business 1301 every day whenever you go through your personal hygiene rituals. Or maybe shop for personal hygiene products. We'll see if we succeed there. Here's our objectives for today. By the end of today's class, you'll be able to do four things, I believe. Number one, you'll be able to state the purpose of business. Uh, we'll lead off with that. Business has a very clear purpose. We'll make sure we understand that. I think you'll master that rather quickly. Number two, you'll be able to position your business as a solution to customer problems. This time next week, you'll be running an online business, a business simulation. And the more you position your business as a solution to the problems that customers have in the marketplace, the better off it's going to go for you. And so we'll be able to, you'll be able to position your business as a solution to customer problems and understand what that means. A third thing, you'll be able to describe how businesses integrate research and development and production and marketing. We're going to look at those three functions today in particular. You have a fourth one in your business simulation called finance. We're not looking at that today. But business functions is an integrated whole. And you'll be able to at least talk about how they do that or describe how they do that with three of those functions today. And then a fourth thing I think you'll be able to do by the end of class is compare and contrast the benefits of multiple personal hygiene products when shopping. So maybe this class time will follow you outside of class and into the shopping aisles of Walmart and HEB and other places in which you might shop for personal hygiene products. We have FaceTime at uh, 1130 with Mr. Mark Rhodes, our local Merry Maids franchise owner. He's got a good story to tell and he'll be on stage before we know it. 
pardon me while I bless our time together and we'll get going. As we gather here today to learn, O Lord, help us remember those who never get to go to school. Amen. Okay. Well, this is Peter Drucker. He died in 2005. He lived a long life. He wrote a lot, and he influenced a lot of American CEOs and a few outside of this country. Peter Drucker stated in his book, Management, uh, back in the 70s, he said, the purpose of business is to create a customer. I think he said it better than anybody else. And, and, and he wrote a section in his book on that that's uh, pretty thorough, uh, in fact. And I'm, you know, we're not going to read that whole section. I think if you can master this sentence that we've done the work that we need to do today, if you can master that sentence. But the purpose of business is to create a customer. The purpose of business is not to find a customer. He didn't say it's to find a customer. Okay? You don't just stumble across them by accident. Sometimes that can happen, but that's not the purpose. The purpose of business is to create a customer. The purpose of business is not to steal a customer. You don't just try to grab everybody else's customers and get them as your own. Sometimes people leave other companies and come to your business because you might offer benefits that their current provider doesn't offer. But in doing so, you've created a customer. You didn't necessarily steal a customer. The purpose of business isn't even to serve a customer. That's not what he said, even though service really matters. In fact, people might be willing to pay a premium for good service. But he said that's not the purpose of business. The purpose of business is to create a customer. You create something that didn't exist. I mean, that's something fundamentally different about the business as an institution, the business enterprise. Apple understands this. Uh, They sent out this invitation over the weekend to a lot of people. It's a highly anticipated event. It's happening here at the end of January. It's for, they they have an announcement to make. And Apple says, uh, come, they don't say, come see our latest product. They don't say, come see our latest thingy. They say, come see our latest creation. Apple understands that you create customers with creations. And they're going to unveil their latest creation at the end of this month. It's an invitation-only event. Uh, I didn't get one. I had to grab this one off the Internet. One other uh, take on this, on this purpose of business and why businesses exist. This is a quote from a guy named David Levy. Uh, He's an inventor. He calls this the curse method for creating customers. Um, and, And he says this, whenever I hear someone curse, it's a sign to invent something. I think that's pretty, pretty smart, pretty savvy. He understands uh, something about customers that if they're upset about something, if something's irritating them, if something's bothering them and they're, and they're so angry about it that they're cursing about it, that's a business opportunity. And you may not think about business opportunities in that way, but David Levy does. And if he hears people that are upset, he goes, huh, there might be a business here. Because people are willing to pay money to you you know, if you provide a solution to the problem that frustrates them so much that they curse. That's kind of a different way of looking at it, but I think David Levy has something to teach us there along with Peter Drucker uh, in there. So what's the stinking problem today? Well, the problem that we're going to look at today is sweating. And on the screen up here, you see a normal distribution. Now, you're going to see this in your QBA classes here, QBA you know, 2303 and 2305. Here, that's your statistics class. Maybe you've already taken your statistics class, but it's a normal bell curve. And people sweat, on a, people sweat normally. Uh, actually, 68% of the population in this first deviation here, they sweat normally. Some of you may be sweating right now as we sit in this class. 
Okay? And that's a problem because some of you don't want to sweat. And the, another problem that accompanies that is some of you don't want to smell while you sweat, but that's a different matter altogether in there. Now, it gets even worse if you suffer from what's called excessive sweating. You move one deviation above the norm, or two de the second deviation above the norm, you have what's called excessive sweating, and that plagues about 14% more of the population. So we're dealing with, you know, 82% of the population sweat or have excessive sweating. It gets even worse. You can have hyperhidrosis. That's a, that's a uh, diagnosable disease where you sweat and sweat and sweat and sweat and sweat. Only about 2% of the population suffers from that, but it's a, quite a malady, and you have to see a doctor to get you to stop sweating. So that's kind of that end of the spectrum. You can sweat less than normal. We're not really going to pay attention to these folks today. If you can you know, sweat less than normal or suffer from hypohydrosis or worse yet, anhydrosis where you don't sweat at all, and that's a real problem, and that takes medical treatment as well. But the problem, you know, if a problem is an opportunity to start a business, we're going to look at this problem and see if we can understand a business. So there's a good study of uh, sweating and antiperspirants and deodorants. It's by a guy named Carl Layden. We're not going to uh, require it in this class. It's actually in our library. I've read through it. Uh, you're not going to read anything, but I've pulled a couple of sentences from it. How big is this market in antiperspirants and deodorants? Well, the proportion of adult consumers regularly using these products is over 90% in the United States, okay? And that was 10 years ago, 11 years ago, whenever this book was published, so that market could be even greater today. Their frequency of daily use in total dollar sales is exceeded only by that of toothpastes, okay? So only toothpaste sell more than antiperspirants and deodorants. And so your daily hygiene rituals, uh, as you go through them, are a pretty lucrative business, we're starting to understand if their data is correct. Well, how do you, if you wanted to help solve this problem, how do you do that? What steps do you take to solve this problem? Well, some basic marketing things. Now, as you go through the business school, you're going to take a marketing class, Marketing 3305, and you'll learn about market segmentation. That's kind of the first step. You know, the, all the adults, all the people who sweat in North America is a large market, right? And that's, you know, that just symbolizes here by a lot of people. There's more people than you can serve. You can't service everybody. You kind of have to segment the market and understand. You can't just say, well, I'm going to help people stop sweating. That's kind of vague. You've got to get a little tighter than that. So you segment the market by age, by gender, maybe by country, maybe by attitude. Uh, you can do it in North America, male, female, older, younger, people who uh, attitudinally worry about sweating when they're around others. Maybe they don't worry about sweating when they're working out. But when I'm at the office, I really worry about sweating. Or actually, after the dance, there's one I found one that says, you know, perfect, you know, goes, works all the way through the dance. You know, if you worry about sweating at the dance, they have a deodorant just for you. That's an attitudinal segmentation there. So you segment the market. You can't pick them all, but you kind of look at four areas. And then what you do, you target one. Because, again, you can't do it all. Because if you go to a venture capitalist or a banker and say, hey, I want to make deodorant for everybody, they're not going to give you any money because you're way too vague. But if you say, you know, we've looked at the market, we've segmented it, and this blue circle here, we think we can hit that one. We think we understand that North American working woman and her attitudes and her preferences, and we think we can target her and successfully sell the owner to her, and they'll say, well, tell me more. Because you're getting focused now. And then the bummer is, other people have figured this out as well, they want to, but they've also figured out that, hey, that North American working woman uh, is a potentially lucrative market, and we're going to make the audience for her as well, so other people are jumping in there. And so you have to segment, you have to target, and you have to position your product 
you know, position its benefits you know, in contrast to the benefits that other people offer. And that's marketing in a nutshell. Now, we're going to put some more meat on that bone. We're going to show you some examples of how they do that. But that's how marketing works. Uh, very basic steps to marketing. How do deodorants work? That's how marketing works. How do deodorants work? What I want you to do is bring up your, uh, uh, get your response pad. I'm going to go down here and grab this and bring it up. I've got, uh, I've got five options there for you. Uh, how do deodorants work? Uh, do they kill bacteria? Do they uh, reduce the amount of sweat? Do they make it evaporate faster? Uh, or is it just magic? You know, it's like magic, man. Uh, is that how deodorants work? Pick one of those. Uh, send in. Let me know. Let's end that. And what it's going to do is it's going to throw up a, a population graph of, um, or a distribution of how you answered. And, and C is the most popular answer there. That's where most of you think it works. Uh, C. And we will see. See, you still sweat. The chemicals just make it evaporate faster. Uh, that's your implicit theory on deodorant. Well, I've got... Some bad news for you. Um, that's not how deodorants work. Deodorants actually just mask your body odors with a fragrance. That's a deodorant. There's two parts to this market. There's deodorants and then there's antiperspirants. Now deodorants, they just mask the fragrance. Uh, they mask the odor with a fragrance. My next question is, well, if that's how deodorants work, then how do antiperspirants work? Same distribution of answers. I'd be curious to know, now that we know how deodorants work, how do antiperspirants work? Or are they just, you know, magic? Is it explainable? Let me, let me know your implicit theory now, at this stage. Y'all are answering a lot faster this time. And that's good. I'm about to close this out. up over 180. And my guess is we'll probably see a different distribution of answers, and we do. You know what that's called? That's called learning. You just changed your mind. Slightly different question, but you moved your answer a bit. Uh, most popular answer this time, C is still a very popular answer, but B is the most popular answer this time. We'll see what B does for us uh, in there. They say they actually reduce the amount you sweat. That's an interesting way of thinking about it. How does that hold? Well, that is actually the right answer. And the name gives it away, antiperspirants, right? If you just know your, uh, look at the word, you can deduce some things about that. Antiperspirants actually reduce the amount that you sweat. So the difference, again, here for understanding this market, understanding this problem, and understanding the products that people put out to help you solve that problem, we'll go again uh, to Mr. Layden's book here. Antiperspirants can be defined as products that reduce the amount of in, uh, perspiration generated, usually in the underarm area. Deodorants are products that reduce underarm odor. Antiperspirants fight wetness. Deodorants fight odor. That's the difference. And some still haven't figured that out as they shot, but more on that as we go through class. Let's talk exactly how antiperspirants work because it's not just magic. Somebody figured out how this worked, and because they figured out, they could offer a solution that you're willing to pay money for. This is just a cross-section of your skin. You may have seen it in your high school biology class or your freshman biology class, I don't know what class you were in uh, here at Baylor, but it's just a cross-section of skin. You've got your epidermis here on top, obviously, and you've got your dermis underneath that. And in the dermis, you've got things like you know, oil glands and sweat glands and hair follicles that hair grow out of. And all those things work underneath your outer layer of skin in complete darkness, but they function just fine. Uh, it's amazing how that goes. But I've got some bad news for you. That's your skin.
The bad news I have for you is that you have bacteria living all over your skin. You can wash yourself as much as you want. You can scrub, 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 scrub. But you still have bacteria living all over your skin. You can't get rid of them. There's thousands of them on you. And they particularly like to live under your arm. Because it's nice and dark under there. Sometimes a little wet under there. Bacteria just love that. They thrive in that area, actually. That's where they live. So let's see how they work. So they live under your arm. And, um, whoops. They live under your arm. And as you get nervous and you sweat, they like that. Because they're living there already and you can scrub and you can do whatever you want. But as you sweat, that is just what they like. They eat that sweat and that is lunchtime for Mr. Bacteria. Now, you know, animals eat and after they eat, they get rid of their waste, right? Bacteria eat and after they eat, what do they do? Oh, they get rid of their waste. And they get rid of their waste, they eat your sweat and they make their waste and it doesn't smell very good. And you know what? We call that body odor. That's how it works. They eat your sweat, put out their waste, and it stinks. And you call that body odor. And that's how it works. And it happens all the time right under your arm in there. So what are we going to do about this problem? Well, we can mask it with a deodorant fragrance, you know, and hope that the fragrance is strong enough to mask the waste that the bacteria are producing. Or we can try something else. Um, you may wake up and put on an antiperspirant like this and go back and forth and back and forth uh, trying to get something good to happen in there. Now, I want to point out loud and clear that antiperspirant doesn't take the bacteria away. It doesn't even kill the bacteria. They're still there. They're kind of hard to get rid of. But what it does do is it puts a salt plug, believe it or not, in your sweat gland. There's a chemical, and I'm going to tell you what that chemical is in every antiperspirant. And it reacts with your skin and what's on your skin to create a salt plug that puts a little cork in your sweat gland and it doesn't allow it to sweat. And guess who doesn't get lunch today? Your little bacteria friends. Aww. And wouldn't it be nice if they all died as a result and they never bothered you again? But they don't. They're kind of hard to get rid of and your antiperspirant doesn't get rid of them. But it does keep them from eating and making waste and that's what causes body odor. And so that's a real key to the problem here. This is the chemical... That is in your antiperspirant. It's called aluminum zirconium tetrachlorhydrix. And that's the chemical. I tried to map it. For, for the chemistry fans there, I tried to at least put the chemical composition up there. That's what it looks like. It's very, very small. You'll see what it looks like in a video that I'm going to show in the second half of class. But that's what it looks like. And you'll find it on the back of every uh, container of deodorant. It's actually a controlled substance. It's a pharmaceutical controlled by the FDA. And you'll find it up here in the active ingredient list. And this particular one has a trichlor, trichlorohydrex in there, which is a generation earlier. Uh, most of what you'll find on the shelf today is tetrachlorohydrex. But it's, this one has 16% of that, whatever that means. But if you look on the back of your deodorant container, you'll find that it ranges from anywhere. I found them from 14% all the way up to 29% uh, tetrachlorohydrex. And that may or may not be a good thing. We'll look at that a little bit closer later. But um, that's later because at this time it's 11.30 and it's time for everybody's favorite part of class and that is what? FaceTime. Would you please welcome Mr. Mark Rhodes down to the stage. Mark, come on down. 
Upon finding the uh, topic matter of today's discussion, I did an informal poll in my office, my teammates, to see which deodorant they may use on a daily basis. And you'll be happy to know that uh, Secret is the number one winner for Mary Maids here in town. Just before I start, um, how many folks in the room have heard of Mary Maids before? Good. And how many people, like when you were living at home with mom and or dad, how many folks actually used Mary Maids in your home maybe on a regular basis? Okay, three or four. It's more than last class, and that really shows that there's a lot of market opportunities for companies such as ours. But uh, first of all, I appreciate the opportunity to come out to Baylor today. Um, it's been a long time since I've actually been in this building. I was a student at Baylor back in the mid-'80s and took a lot of classes here at Handcammer and actually was in the work-study program and was a short-order cook over at the sub, making a lot of hamburgers and milkshakes for people and uh, enjoyed my years here at Baylor and actually really enjoy still living here in town and going to the games and such. Um, I'm going to go in three brief sections today, and that will be followed with a short Q&A. If any of you have any questions at all, uh, I'm open to any questions you may have. I want to tell you a little bit about myself, also how I stumbled upon Merry Maids and owning a couple Merry Maids franchises, and then finally just some company information that you may may not be interested in. Um, Following my graduation of Baylor in 87, I, I started working for Word Incorporated, which is, at that time was the world's largest Christian communications company, record label, book publishing company, artists like Michael W. Smith, Amy Grant, authors like Billy Graham, Chuck Swindoll, Max Licato were uh, basically the, the, the products that I dealt with on a daily basis. I worked there for about nine and a half years. Uh, during that time, uh, my wife and I had uh, twins and uh, then another son. And, uh, but in, in early night or late 85, or 95, excuse me, they were going to relocate us to Nashville. And although we don't have any problems with Nashville or Tennessee, we really felt uh, secured and planted here in Texas and especially Waco. So I, I really was looking for other opportunities after working there for nearly 10 years. I didn't really have a plan. Um, it was a little scary because our twins were only four years old at the time. Uh, I was vested in the 401k plan. We had a good health plan there at Word. Uh, we had a newborn, Brian, who is now uh, 14 years old. And uh, it was a little scary when I went to my wife uh, telling her what I wanted to do and possibly you know, quit my job so we could stay here in town. Um, in searching on what I wanted to do, you know, there was a lot of prayer during that time, but I remembered some words that my dad had, uh, my, my late father, who worked for 31 years for Exxon Chemical, never really liked his job, uh, and he, he told me that, uh, he said, Mark, I, I don't think you're ever going to be happy working for the other guy. And those words really um, sort of sunk into my heart, and I began sort of trying to think of things that I could maybe do on my own here in town. And that led me to just going to a bookstore and picking an Entrepreneur 500 issue. And once a year, Entrepreneur Magazine comes out with their ranking of the top 500 franchises in the United States, various categories, be it fast food, you know, car repair shop, home cleaning, you name it. And I just started with number one, I think at that time was uh, maybe Subway or 7-Eleven. Those are usually way up there. But uh, went down and... Just got to number 42 on the list, which at that time was Merry Maids. I never heard of the company. I didn't really even want to familiar with the residential cleaning industry. But 
I started thinking about it, and I thought, well, gosh, that's really lacking in Central Texas. I went into the Yellow Pages and didn't see any listings for any professional home cleaning companies. Um, franchises, if you inquire about them by law, they're, they're required to send you a disclosure statement that gives you basic information about the company. But my interest was getting the names and addresses of all the franchise owners, because I wanted to talk with them directly. And upon receiving that disclosure statement, I sent a letter out to maybe 15, 20 Texas Mary Maids owners with 10 questions. I'm not going to give you all 10, but the first three were, knowing what you know now, would you have purchased a Mary Maids? Second one was, what's the best thing about the business? Third, what's the worst thing about the business? Well, I got an overwhelming response from franchise owners across the state, and I'm happy to say it was favorable response for the most part. And the things that really appealed to me after hearing from those guys and ladies was one, it was a daytime business, Monday through Friday. There was no nights, no weekends, no holidays. Not many business owners can say that. Uh, another thing is that it was a, not a trendy business. A lot of franchises you see, only they come and go because they're, re they're really sort of trendy. Well, home cleaning has always been around. It's here to stay. It's not the most glamorous industry in the world, but it was appealing to me because I found stability in that. Um, also, a big part of the business was repeat customers. A lot of business owners wake up Monday morning going, where is my business going to come from today? Well, Mary Maids is an ongoing type thing with about 90% of our customers. Most times, folks, when they call us, raising their hands, they're needing help, and they're calling up for weekly service, every two-week service, every four-week service. So as long as we're doing a good job for our customers, or unfortunately, if they lose their job or they die or something, we continue cleaning them on a weekly or bi-weekly basis normally. So that was very appealing to me. Probably most importantly with me and doing my research was it was very inexpensive to get into this business. Uh, when you're shopping franchises, I tell you, you can spend tens, hundreds of thousands, sometimes over a million dollars to get into a franchise of some kind. If you're, you can just do your own research on that. I simply didn't have the money. Uh, we were still pretty young at the time. I was in my early 30s, I think. And uh, so anyway, we, we only needed about uh, $50,000 or so to get into Mary Maids. And so that's very, very inexpensive as far as franchises go. And that covers not only the franchise fee, the initial supplies and equipment, but also any kind of operating capital that we needed to get going those first uh, few months. We, we've passed a break-even point after about three or four months, which was way ahead of the curve which was very pleasing to me. And then uh, we ended up you know, really growing the business nicely over that first year, resulting in Rookie of the Year. Um, I, during that time, it was really sort of stressful because obviously I was used to a certain income level. My wife was raising our, our twins at the house and, and not working, so it was really on my shoulders. And so I, I got it on Excel graph. You know, I was looking at our weekly sales, and I'd projected 13, 26, 52 weeks out even beyond. And I would have an optimistic, a realistic, and a pessimistic scenario. And I remember you know, talking to my wife every once in a while, and you know, a year from now, we can be making this much money, or whatever. And I'm happy to say we really surpassed all of those lines on the graph, which I really uh, felt great about. But I also feel like the Lord was part of that, because um, we were really scared taking that step of faith. Anyway, we opened up in the summer of 96, and we currently clean about five, 600 homes a month. And uh, our weekly volume ranges somewhere in a 13 to 15,000 uh, a week, excuse me, 13 to 15,000 a week in volume. And so um, having said that, just wanted to share a little bit more information about the company in general. Um, 
it was started in Omaha, Nebraska back in 1979. A gentleman named Dallin Peterson was a, a corporate executive, got a little tired of traveling, and really saw trends in society and saw, yeah, uh, Dr. McCormick was talking earlier about businesses meet people's needs or, or solve their problems that they're having. Well, basically, Dallin Peterson noticed that society was increasingly time-starved. So that is the problem that people were having. There was a bunch of dual-income households out there that were working all the time. There's a bunch of single-parent households out there that were working all the time. They didn't have time to come back, nor did they want to spend their nights and weekends cleaning the house. So he had the foresight and seeing that problem in society and coming up with a uh, way of branding it to the, uh, to the United States. The last segment of the population that, was, that he was looking at was the aging baby boomers. We've got a bunch of people like us. And I'm on the tail end of baby boomers, but they're getting older. The older they get, the less able they're able to do things like clean their home. Again, we've been in business here in Central Texas since 96. There are offices nationwide. Our parent company is ServiceMaster. You may or may not have heard of it, but all of those companies surrounding that uh, ServiceMaster label are ServiceMaster companies. Terminex, True Green, Kemlon, Mary Maids, and some others. Used to be a publicly owned company on the New York Stock Exchange. Currently, it's owned by a private equity firm, CDNR. Um, next, I, when, when I went and saw the home office in Memphis, opened the elevator, and there's this mahogany wall, the first thing on the mission statement was to, God or, to honor God and all we do. I didn't know that going in, but as a Christian, that was really an affirmation uh, to me that I was meeting some good people. The company has a good Christian heritage to it. Obviously, you don't have to be a Christian to work there, but that was an affirmation to me looking at the company to purchase. Excelling with customers, ooh, excuse me, excelling with customers is the second objective of the company. Uh, obviously, customer relationships is very important with us. Most of them entrust their house key to us. And so it is key that we have not only a business, but a personal relationship with them, that, they're, that, that we will keep their privacy and, 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 and they can trust their belongings to us. That's why we do things like national background checks and drug testing. To help people develop, um, Mary Maids really likes to take their employees and develop them. There are dozens of Mary Maids owners out there nationwide who started off as cleaning teams. They were, they were made, basically maids and now they're owners. Um, I mentioned in the last hour that a couple years ago, the top Mary Maids in the whole United States, uh, Amy and I know Kim and Stanton Hinckley. Well, Kim started off working for Mary Maids as a cleaner. Well, she has a, an office in Topeka, Kansas, her husband in Lawrence. And two years ago, they recognized as the number one Mary Maids in the United States. Well, that, that is someone that has been developed and is very successful. Uh, in my office personally, both the people that we have in our office, Monica and Margaret, started off as cleaning. They both cleaned over 3,000 houses apiece. That's a lot of toilets to clean. Uh, but now, you know, we developed them through the system and, and tried to hone their communication skills, their ability to uh, use the keyboard, spreadsheets, and that kind of thing. So we've developed a little bit on a smaller scale, but still trying to develop here locally. And so they're running the office now while you're... They're running the office. I tell you what I... And, and Amy can vouch for this. I go in in the morning to sort of get things going. I leave. They get the teams out, and they run it from there. I still like doing sales myself. When customers call up wanting weekly, biweekly service, I still go and give them a free estimate. I don't like being behind a desk all day long. I enjoy driving, meeting the customers. I enjoy listening to talk radio while I'm doing that. 
and I usually can go home between uh, two and three each day. So it's a, it's a good routine for me. Of course, I'm willing to work after hours too. Our first few years in businesses, I was out till midnight, one, two o'clock in the morning getting the business going. So it was a tough hoe at the beginning, but at the point that we're at now, uh, it's, it's very fulfilling. I'll miss, I interrupt you. We don't want to miss that grow profitably. I'm sorry. Of course, all, all businesses, you're in business to make money. And uh, so we price for profit. We're not known as the least expensive company in town. And, and when I go and do a free estimate, if a customer says to me, well, I'm just getting estimates now for prices, I let them know up front, we're not going to be the least expensive company that you deal with. But we've been around for 13-plus years. We have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau here in town, and we like to pay our people the best in this industry in town to get a higher caliber person. Think about it. You can go to the corner gas station and get a cup of coffee for, what, 50, 75 cents. You can also go to Starbucks and pay four or five times that, right? Well, each of those customers, you know when you go into Starbucks, you're going to be forking out a little more money, right? Same thing with house cleaning. People you can use individuals and maybe pay 50 to $65 to get their house clean. Our average bi-weekly rate, someone that uses us every two weeks here in town, is $105 plus tax, which is one thirteen sixty-six. It's hard to believe someone would pay $2,500 to $5,000 a year to have their house cleaned. But we've got five, 600 homes a month, people that say they want to do that. So... Um, Next on the list here, just to let you know, our typical customer. That's what she looks like. I say she. Um, nine times out of ten when our phone rings, it is a lady that is wearing a lot of hats. She is working. She's mom. She's wife. You name it. She's chef. She's run, running errands. And she's saying help when she calls our office. And so talking earlier, you were talking about target marketing. Mary Maid's targets its marketing towards females. I'll be honest with you. You're going to see our TV ads on Lifetime, Home and Garden Channel, TLC. And we're also not only targeting gender-wise, but we're targeting uh, demographically as far as household income. Now, let's face it, not everybody can afford a service like Mary Maids. Our target market is household incomes of $75,000 or more. So when we're marketing, we're trying to hit that market, so we're marketing with a rifle instead of a shotgun. Okay. Why choose Mary Maids? When someone chooses us instead of individuals, it's either because of quality, reliability, convenience, and security. We guarantee our quality with our customers. If there's a problem, we come back and touch up at no uh, additional charge. Reliability, sometimes with individuals, boy, the customers get tired of them calling up saying, hey, I'm sick today, or my, my kid is, is sick, or my car won't start, or they're tired of coming in the house and their boyfriend being there watching TV. Because I've heard all of those stories over the years here in town. Reliability, that's us. Convenience, we uh, bring the supplies and equipment. We handle all the transportation. We handle all the paperwork and employment taxes. We make it very easy for the customer, very convenient. And lastly, and probably most importantly, is security. Uh, we do national background checks, drug testing. That's required nationally with Mary Maids. We also... Uh, um, have insurance. You know, if we break, uh, we ruin a wood floor that's going to cost $20,000 to repair or replace, we're insured to do that. If an employee falls and slips, we're insured uh, with uh, insurance comparable to workers' comp to cover their medical bills and their lost wages. And so that could be a problem if you use individuals. That's just reinforcing what I just said. 
And uh, just, you know, a couple pictures here of teams in action. Uh, we do clean our, or uh, train our teams for a couple weeks before we turn them loose to clean the homes. And uh, we guarantee our work, as I mentioned before. And after all that's said and done, hopefully you have a, you know, a pleased customer that is coming home from work with one less thing to worry about. Our national slogan is, relax, it's done. And, uh, you know, you think of features and benefits of any business that you have. What do you think is more important? The, what you're featuring as your, as your service or what the benefit is? Any suggestions? Anybody? Okay. I'll tell you, benefit. Uh, our company, the features would be cleaning, dusting, vacuuming, blah, blah, blah. But the customer that calls us is wanting to know, how can you free up my time? Because that's going to be the benefit of using a company like Mary Mays. So anyway, that concludes my presentation here. I sure would like to have a couple questions from the group if you have any. No question is stupid. And uh, just we've open got, it up. We've got the floor mic ready to go. Raise your hand and introduce yourself. But uh, I'll, I'll lead off with one question I'm curious about uh, as we get going. You've probably seen some other franchise owners uh, come into the Mary Maid system and leave, mm-hmm. you know, uh, botch it. Right. Uh, what do, you know, when people start their, you know, take over their own business and go belly up, uh, what are two, two or three things that, you know, tend to characterize these kinds of people? One thing I would tell you is if you're going to be a franchise owner, um, you've got to sort of learn to follow a system, okay? If you're a true entrepreneur, if you're a maverick, if you've got something and you're going to do it, franchising is probably not the way to go for you. Yes, you own your own business, but with franchising, you've got to follow a beaten path. There's steps A, B, C, and D, and they expect those systems to be met. If you're a McDonald's franchise owner, and you come in and you say, well, I don't really like ketchup on my quarter pounder with cheese. We're, at this restaurant, we're going to be putting mayonnaise on our quarter pounders with cheese. Well, the corporate office is going to step in and say, no, that's not the way it's done. Well, it's similar with the situation with Mary Maids. To answer your question, Blaine, I, I would tell you, some, some owners get in there and think it's going to be Mark Rhodes cleaning service. And they get in there and they just find out they feel restricted and they feel frustrated because it is a franchise system. Um, other than that, I would just tell you sometimes people just think it's, it's going to be easy, and it's not. As I mentioned, when we first started, it was many, many, many hours that we worked each, each day to pull it off. Questions for uh, Mr. Rose. Uh, yourself. My name is John Andrus. Um, were there any other franchises in 442 that you considered doing? Before 42? Yeah, any other franchises on that list that caught your eye before? Oh, before 42. Yeah, actually, there was another. uh, I was was really, I I decided on the house cleaning industry because I saw that lacking in Central Texas. But the big three in house cleaning would be Mary Maids, Molly Maids, and The Maids, okay? I called Talk about having to differentiate yourself. You know, yourself yes. And, and the others are really copycat industries because Mary Maids was the first. To, to, let, to let you know, Mary Maids and The Maids started both in Omaha, Nebraska, both in 1979, within weeks of each other, with, well, months of each other. Mary Maids is now four times bigger than them. I don't think we're uh, bigger because we're better, or I don't think we're better because we're bigger. I think we're bigger because we're better overall. But I, I called Molly Mates to answer your question, cause, uh, and, and I was put on hold, and then the hold was disconnected. 
So I just went to the next thing on the list. But the more I researched it, the more I saw that Mary Maids in its industry was sort of the Coca-Cola or McDonald's of its industry. And why, you know, why buy a, uh, you know, a big red uh, drive-through when you can have a McDonald's or whatever, you know? So it, I wanted in Waco to have the the premier franchise in that industry. So. Other questions? A couple up there. The other thing is that I wanted a business that was Monday through Friday daytime. Some of the things I mentioned earlier, because there's lots of businesses you can look at where you're going to be working 24/7 sometimes. Hi, yeah. Um, you said that your ideal customer is in a certain price range. Doesn't that cut off some of the other people who are still looking for maids and such on a weekly basis, but at a lower price range? Good question. We're open to anybody. I mean, we, in fact, I have general advertising that we do too. We barter with a couple radio stations here in town. Most months when you open up Waco Today magazine, you're going to see a picture advertising Mary Maids. So there's general marketing that we do to the public too. Um, and there's plenty of people, yeah, that are less than $75,000 household income that can afford Mary Maids. It's just when you pull a buck out of your wallet and you say to yourself, if I've got this $1 to spend on marketing, where am I going to spend it? We're going to be targeting it towards that, that income range. Um, but having said that, yeah, there's all, all demographics, all uh, household incomes that we do. We try and price accordingly. Sometimes if someone can't afford, let's say, paying 100 120 every two weeks, you know, we offer them other things. Can we just hit the high traffic areas for you? Living room, kitchen, master bedroom, and bath. That may make it from a pricing standpoint a little more palatable. But ultimately, you know, some folks just can't afford a service such as Mary Maids. But good question. One introduction before we say goodbye to uh, Mark Rhodes. Uh, his wife Amy's here. She's also a Baylor grad. Amy, you can wave your fans. You'll find Amy downstairs in the undergraduate. She's an advisor in the undergraduate programs office. Some of you may have her as your advisor, so she's definitely business savvy. And Mark, we give two things to every FaceTime guest. One is a We love those. Of crybaby peppers that they already love. Everybody gets some crybabies coming in. And then, of course, a certificate suitable for framing cool. to uh, memorialize your experience. Thank here. you very so much. We are grateful for coming in. Do I Mary appreciate and just one thing in parting, you know, when I was a freshman, sophomore at, at Baylor, I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. And I think a lot of people in this room probably be saying the same thing right now. And, uh, you know, just, just follow your heart and, and, and pray about it and God will lead you in the direction you're supposed to be. But appreciate your time. Now, as we move forward in class, let's talk about research and development. Uh, that's where we're going to head next. Um, as you start running your companies, you know, this time next week you're going to be running your online business simulation companies, and you've got a research and development division. Uh, you've got four functions, R&D, production, marketing, and finance, and you have to do research. This is where new products come out of, and you have to make sure that they work. I guess in this situation, you have to make sure that uh, your deodorant at least masks the odor. Uh, if, you know, if you have a fragrance in your deodorant and upper siren that is working, I don't know the full story behind that picture, but I did find it uh, in development. But you know, there's other parts of R&D as well. And again, you won't need those um, yellow sheets until the last five minutes of class, so just kind of tuck those away and keep them handy, but we'll explain everything at that time. R&D to make sure your product uh, 
you know, does cover ogres if you're trying to do that. Somebody invented the uh, deodorant stick container that deliver, you know, the package that delivers the product to you. Um, I mean, that's kind of a problem. You know, you can mix up a big vat of deodorant, but if it's just like a, a ball or a big piece of chalk that you do, you know, under your arm, you've got all over your hands. And so somebody figured out how to put it in this kind of package, uh, deliver with a little click wheel, and, uh, you know, move on up there, and it works very, very well. They patented it, and that's the, uh, you know, the stick delivery system for uh, R&D on that kind of things. I'm going to put a link out to a Tom's of Maine. Uh, they provide deodorant. Some of you may use Tom's of Maine's uh, antiperspirant or deodorant. But uh, they've got a nice little video on how they developed their uh, package uh, to be environmentally friendly. Uh, they didn't want to use the ones that everybody else used. Uh, I don't think I'll have time to show that video in this class, but I'll put that out on Blackboard if you want to watch that a little bit more at R&D. So if you uh, create a product and test it and say, hey, we got a deodorant ready to go, then you have to make it. Okay, you have to manufacture it. And if you wanted to start a deodorant manufacturing company today, you would need a machine. I didn't know what the machine looked like, so I Googled, you know, deodorant manufacturing, you know, factory. There's the machine right there. This is a uh, machine. You can buy it uh, out there. Uh, it effortlessly fills molten or hot liquids such as stick deodorant, antiperspirant, lipstick, etc. This is a hot fill machine. And it goes through the line. You put your container on there, and it fills it. And I'll show you a video with these machines in action in here in just a little while. But so you need to develop your product. That's R&D costs need to develop uh, by capacity. You'll buy capacity as part of your business simulation, and that's what that means. You're buying machines like this with space in factories to do this kind of work, and if you don't have much capacity, you're limited in how much uh, deodorant you can manufacture at any given time in there. With that, with R&D and manufacturing as a prelude, let's uh, go here and um, watch this video. So at this point, I want to pull the class on what deodorant uh, or antiperspirant that you use. I've got eight options up here. I'd like you to uh, take your response pad and let me know uh, which anti-deodorant uh, or, uh, I'm sorry, deodorant or antiperspirant that you use. You've got eight options up there. Find your brand, pick an answer, send it in there. In the meantime, we're going to get some different brands out to the audience. Sam and um, Christian are going to bring those around. Why don't y'all take the wings and I'll Take the center section. How's that? Y'all deliver to the wings here, and I'll take the center section. So here in the front row, got that one. Got one coming in here to the middle. So make sure you get it. Got one coming uh, top right up here. So there it is. And got one coming top left, if I can do it. Throwing out there. Good catch. Good catch. We're going to be asking about that in just a second. So again, we want to know what uh, brand of anti- perspiring or deodorant that you use. We've got 182 answers in there. So let's see where the class maps on that. Uh, it's going to bring that up. And it's heavily A and B, uh, heavily A and B. We have a few scattered out down here. H, I don't use antiperspirants or deodorants. Uh, five people there. Uh, we might be able to pick you out. We might not. I don't know uh, in there. But A and B heavily uh, on there. So what, what does that mean? Uh, what's that doing for us on that? Well, Part of the story might be this. I've got those same options here. I've dropped the bottom two uh, out of there. But here are the six companies that make the vast majority of brands of deodorants or antiperspirants that you might use. This class, the overwhelming majority of you, probably 80 85%, use either Unilever or Procter & Gamble brand products. Now, Unilever makes Axe, Degree, Dove, and Suave. They may all come out of the same factory. I don't know. I haven't done that deep of homework. But they're all made from the same company, and they just brand them a little differently because they're looking at different markets. Axe has a certain market. 
Degree, Suave, Dove is a women's market. Axe would be a you know, young male adult market uh, in there. Then a lot of more are used in Procter & Gamble. Be that Secret, be that Old Spice, be that Sure. A few probably are used in Speedstick or something like that. But that's the lay of the land in manufacturing. Uh, who makes what product there. Some of the lesser known brands, Arid, Extra Extra Dry, Church and Dwight uh, makes that one. Revlon makes Mitchum, you may know that, or uh, KAO Brands makes uh, the ban deodorant or antiperspirant. We passed out, uh, while y'all were making your answers, uh, or sending in your answers, we passed out some deodorant samples. Now I've got a table I want to uh, fill out here. We want to look at uh, two different factors in these tables. One is I've got a dozen deodorants out in, uh, or antiperspirants out in the room. We're going to look at the percentage of aluminum zirconium. If you've got one of those, flip on the back and you'll find the percentage of the active ingredient and the price. And what we're going to do here, I'm going to get rid of that. I thought I uh, took that out. We're going to fill in this table and look at some uh, patterns if we have there. But let's start at the top. Uh, Gillette uh, clinical strength. What's uh, Gillette clinical strength? Percent of aluminum zirconium. What is that? Well, that's the degree. Where's the uh, Gillette clinical strength up there? Uh, 20%. 20%. Aluminum zirconium and the price? $11.47. That's some powerful stuff, and they want uh, more than a few dollars for it. Degree clinical protection, what's the percentage? It's also 20%. Hmm. 20%, a little bit more of a bargain at 1134 Maybe you'll move that direction on there. Uh, Gillette uh, Clear Shield Power Rush, where's that one? Gillette Clear Shield Power Rush, raise your hand so I can see you. What's the uh, percentage of aluminum zirconium? 16% and the price, whoops. And the price? $4.22. That's quite a drop in price for 4% less aluminum zirconium. Maybe that makes all the difference, I don't know. Old Spice Showtime Red Zone, there it is. 17%? You need more. You're in the red zone on that one, you know, so you need slightly more. And how much is it? $3.62. That's great. Axe Dry Clicks. Where's Axe Dry Clicks? 17.8. Ah, a little bit stronger there than Old Spice. $3.44. And these prices are at Walmart. I went to Walmart and bought these a couple of weeks ago if you need to know the pricing um, origins for that. Axe Fresh Phoenix. Where's Axe Fresh Phoenix? Percentage of aluminum zirconium? It doesn't say. It doesn't say. Why? It doesn't have any in there. There's 0%. Now, why can't, how come this doesn't have any aluminum zirconium in it? It's not an antiperspirant. What does it say on the front? Yeah. Does it say antiperspirant on the front? No, it doesn't. And so you have to be careful when you're shopping. You go, oh, I just grabbed that one. You wonder why you're sweating so much. Maybe you just grabbed a deodorant. And there's no antiperspirant in it whatsoever to make that salt plug uh, to plug up your sweat glands. But even though there's no aluminum zirconium, how much does Unilever want for Axe Fresh Phoenix? $3.44. You'd think they could drop the price if they don't have any chemicals in it, but I guess they don't. Tag, Ludacris. Ludacris is in class today, by the way. He's on the Raise that container so they can see. Ludacris brand deodorant, a tag. It's uh, unbelievable. Uh, how much uh, aluminum zirconium in uh, with Mr. Ludacris over there? 17%. And the price? $3.27 there. Speedstick Fresh. Where's Speedstick Fresh? Raise your hand. Over there. How much? 15%. And the price? 234 So we're dropping from Axe and Old Spice into the $2 range now, or at least the uh, Old Spice Red Zone. Degree Invisible Stick. Where's that? 
17.8%. And the price? $2.32. Old Spice Invisible Solid Game Day. Maybe the longest uh, name. It's uh, 17%. 17% and the price? $2.18. Now, it's, it's worth noting that uh, Old Spice and Old Spice here, there's a dollar, almost a dollar fifty difference in them, uh, but they have the same uh, aluminum zirconium, but they're different packaging. If you look, uh, one's a little bit more normal packaging, one's a little bit more uh, flashy packaging. The red zone just looks like, you know, you just really want to connect with that one. So that's a little bit of a marketing. You know, if you want to be in the red zone, you know, that's, uh, it'll cost you a buck fifty more every time you go there. Uh, arid, extra, extra dry. Uh, where's that one? 19 percent aluminum zirconium. And how much is that going to cost us? A dollar ninety-seven. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? Well, sure, mountain frost. Where's sure mountain frost? Uh, it says twenty-nine percent. That is not a typo, but that's definitely going to be at least thirty dollars or something. How much? One ninety-six. A dollar ninety-six. Now that's kind of interesting. Once you map it all out, but all this is is taking a product, mapping it on price and one product characteristic. I have an HEB brand deodorant here that uh, is just their store brand, but it's 22% uh, aluminum zirconium content, and it's about $1.96, if I remember correctly, so it's less than $2. So I'll leave it to you to figure out um, you know, if, if this you know, and this are worth it, if that value package is what you're looking for. Uh, but if you're looking for bang for the buck, sometimes it's in the packaging, sometimes it's in the chemicals, sometimes it's elsewhere. But that uh, will be out there uh, for you after class. Let's show two other things, and we'll go to the to-do list. Just the competitive landscape real quickly here. The vast majority of deodorants are made by three providers. Your industry and foundation will have six competitors. The deodorant industry has six, but three make the vast majority of them. You've got Procter & Gamble. They make the Secret and Gillette, Old Spice, Sure Brands. Unilever makes Axe, Degree, Dove, and Suave. And Colgate Palmolive makes the Toms and the Speed Stick and Teen Spirit, as in Smells Like Teen Spirit. That's where they got that song title from. And then they're arranged from most expensive at the top to least expensive at the bottom. Uh, but that's just, uh, you know, manufacturer by price. Let's look at, uh, since this was all men's deodorant that we passed out in the room, and at the end of class, bring those back. We need those, uh, we'd like to get those back from you if we might. Uh, let's look at just a quick perceptual map of uh, women's deodorant. Uh, we're 40% women in this class today, so let's uh, figure that out. Uh, put something up there for y'all. This is just a two-by-two two perceptual map on price, lowest to highest price, and then aluminum zirconium content, lowest to uh, highest aluminum zirconium content. You know, the highest priced and the highest content for the women are also the clinical brands. They're clocking in at 20% on there, but it's going to cost you roughly the same as the men's products up there. But Suave Clinical Protection uh, drops to a mid-price range in there. And then Mitchum Power Gel still has 20% aluminum zirconium, but it's a much lower price range in there. And then all the other ladies' deodorants are uh, clustered down here in the lower price uh, lower aluminum zirconium quadrant down here, your speed stick, your degree, your dove, uh, degree girl, that's the one I was talking about. If you're worried about how you smell after the dance, that's the one for you, at least as far as the marketing goes in there.